Hello and welcome to episode four of More Than Just an Itch, your essential guide to living with and understanding eczema. For sufferers, eczema can be all enveloping. It can shape your home environment, your education, your career, your social life, your holidays and relationships. Patient surveys and wider research shows that adults with eczema experience higher anxiety, depression, embarrassment, self-consciousness and even suicidal feelings. So how do you tackle the way eczema makes you feel? In this episode, we'll tell you how to manage things like stress and anxiety, which can play such a big part in eczema. We'll explore self-help options, mindfulness techniques and psychodermatology as we bring you Healing From Within, eczema's mental health connection. A reminder that this National Eczema Society podcast series was funded by Abvi, Almaral and Lily, and they had no editorial input or control over the content or other outputs. I'm your host, Catherine Nicholson, and I'm delighted to welcome back our health experts, dermatology nurse and clinical advisor at the National Eczema Society, Julie Van Onselen, dermatologist, Dr. Alpa Kanji, and chief executive of the National Eczema Society, Andy Proctor. Thanks to all of you for coming back for episode four. So let's start off. Um, Julie, come to you first. Can you give us an idea of the kind of typical cases you see where eczema has impacted on patients' mental health, the sort of things people call you up about perhaps on the National Eczema Society helpline? Yes, I think the first thing I'll say is eczema has a huge and often devastating effect on mental health for people. Um, certainly, as as this programme is titled, it is much more than just an itch and it can affect people um, physically and mentally in equal measures. I think there are lots of things to talk about and we'll pick these up as we go on with the episode. But I I think basically there's first of all um, the actual physical symptoms which cause a lot of stress. And I often say eczema's quite often lots of vicious cycles. So Mm. we talked in episode one a little bit how stress can drive eczema and anxiety. Um, there's, There's lots of sort of day-to-day things which are hard. I mean, one of the big, big things of eczema, I think, is sleep. A lot of patients of eczema um, find sleep very, very difficult. They're often disturbed with sleep, waking up with itching, and they often become sleep-deprived, which in its own way can make people just simply exhausted or drive anxiety and depression. Mm. It's really, really tough. Um, also, there's lots of things around sort of what we call psychosocial, you know, how eczema affects your life, how you appear to the world. And we talked again in episode one a bit about, you know, patients of eczema, the self-esteem issues, particularly if you have visible eczema. It's really, really hard if you have difficult facial eczema or eczema on your hands. People are looking and viewing you. And we talked again about the stigma of eczema and it's still around and also how eczema affects your daily activities. You know, it can affect how you work, can affect your relationship, it can affect where you go on holiday, what you wear, um, etc. So there are lots of other things that eczema can, mm. you know, practically affect, mm. which in turn can cause people stress. And in turn, you know, we do know that people with eczema can actually suffer from mental health conditions such as anxiety and depression. So as healthcare professionals, we always need to assess people holistically and we need to ask them as much about the mental impact of eczema as well as the physical symptoms. Alpa, you must see that so much in your job as a dermatologist. Of of course, it's not just the actual skin, the physicality, but all of those other elements that Julie was mentioning. Absolutely. Um, I 
see children and adults and young people with eczema and you know the physical side of eczema is you know the thing that gets focused on quite often in a medical consultation but I think the mental health aspects are often go unrecognized unfortunately Uh, and I think you know because those aspects can have such a substantial impact on someone's life day to day but also on their life trajectory for example, you know, if they cannot go to work or school because of their eczema, then there's consequences to that. You know, they may may impact their opportunities mm. in terms of future career, might have financial consequences in terms of missing work. You know, they might not be able to sort of have opportunities open to them because they're just not able to, to function day mm. to day. So, you know, we see the spectrum of impact that eczema has on people, even basic things like, you know, uh, lifestyle. So, you know, a lot of my patients actually have never learned to swim, adult patients. And, you know, you wouldn't really necessarily think of that off the cuff, but essentially as children, if they've had eczema, they didn't want to go swimming because it was painful, chlorine stings, but also the embarrassment of showing their skin. So as adults, they've never learned to swim. And then that's the degree of confidence that they don't have when maybe they're taking their kids to the swimming pool or they're at the sea. Absolutely. You know, even basic things like the choice of clothing day to day, you know, it impacts everything. So I think it's, you know, future trajectory of young people and children as well as day to day. Mm. So it can have really profound consequences in someone's future life, actually. Uh, And unfortunately, this tends to go often unrecognised. But I think it's really uh, helpful that we're having conversations about this so that people can sort of feel empowered to ask for help as they need it. Mm. And Andy, the National Eczema Society uh, has done a patient survey. Um, What came out of that regarding the mental health impacts? We've done a number of patient surveys, but one we did earlier on this year uh, really hammered home that uh, eczema is affecting people's mental health, uh, their anxiety and depression and social isolation, people not wanting to go out, particularly if you've got uh, facial eczema or um, uh, eczema in invisible areas of the skin. Um, and it, and because it's a, a long-term condition, this kind of builds up over time as well. So it can it can really get on top of people along with managing the, the physical symptoms as well. Um, I, I think um, uh, it's quite hard to... Um, when you're seeing a GP or your dermatologist potentially about your eczema to, to, to open up about how you, it's making you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and there aren't necessarily all, if that's not initiated by the healthcare professional, then sometimes those are just not uh, considered. And Why is that? Do people think that it's a trivial thing? Um, or, I, I think, I think there is that perception in society that we talked about in episode one, that yeah. it's just an itch. There's quite a lot to get through in a very short consultation time for doctors and nurses, to be honest. So I think that's quite hard. Although asking people how they're feeling doesn't add a whole lot to the time, but it does add some. Um, But I think we did uh, one survey uh, where between 80 and 90 percent of people said it's really affecting their mental health but that only 50 percent of those people have been offered any support through the through the nhs in terms of things like counseling or um, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy something that might really help in terms of um, uh, sorting out someone's feelings about their eczema which can become overwhelming in uh, uh, over time and actually from what all of you have said it feels like a lot of these things could create vicious circles um julie you were talking about sleep deprivation which i mean no one feels good after they've had missed a night's sleep for whatever reason but if that's time and time and time again then that must increase your stress and 
have an impact on eczema? Tell me if yes, I'm wrong. Yes, I mean, it's not just for the, the person with eczema, the child or the adult. Sometimes it's for entire families. You know, I speak to people on the helpline who have a baby or child with eczema and that baby or child has never slept through the night and that the mother or the father or whoever is in the household as carers is getting up to um, support that child. The child's often waking, um, scratching, quite distressed. Um, they have to sort of um, settle the child back down again. Um, and then it, it often means that this can also affect um, relationships as well between the parents because the parents are, are, are you know, torn with looking the, after the child. Um, sometimes, you know, parents will sleep separately because of the disturbance on the house and obviously disturbance on siblings. So, I mean, eczema, the, the, you know, the mental effects health effects of eczema can actually affect the whole family as well. So the whole family can become stressed. Mm. And uh, as we were hearing in our episode uh, with the Kander Parker family about how, as you said, parents can become just so upset about feeling like they're unable to, to help their child. Um, a lot of this comes down under the umbrella headline of stress, perhaps. It's a word we keep mentioning. Um, it's a trigger. It's an effect of the condition. Um, what ways are there for people to alleviate their eczema-related stress? Is it any different from dealing with other kinds of stress? I think with eczema, the sort of double whammy, if you like, is that, you know, not only is a person impacted the stress related to whatever is going on in their life, but then their skin also flares. And I think you know, the skin is quite unpredictable in its flair. So I get a lot of patients who are trying desperately to identify what made their eczema flare. And even that can cause a lot of stress in trying to find what the factor was that made their eczema worse. And and quite often, you know, you can really kind of cause yourself a lot of distress in trying to identify the, the factor and, and you know, you, you sometimes never get an answer. But I think stress management is particularly important. And obviously, as in eczema is such an individual condition, therefore, the ways of managing stress are also very individual. So broadly speaking, there are things that the person can do themselves. You know, for example, exercise has a very uh, good effect on stress in general. You know, the endorphins uh, can really help. So, you know, I think individuals can try and find their own ways to cope with stress, whatever that is. But also asking for help and support professional services, I think is really important because stress can be difficult to manage on your own and help is often needed. And, it, and even things, uh, as I've said, exercise is often quite good for, 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 for managing stress. But for people with eczema, if you exercise, often you can sweat and the, mm. the salt in the sweat can irritate the skin. So some people are nervous about exercise or trying to find an exercise that doesn't exacerbate the skin. So it's just another way that people have to be very cautious about how they manage things and the, some of the challenges that they have. For inflammatory an inflammatory skin condition like eczema, there is... Uh, a link to cardiovascular disease actually that's something that's come to light in more recent times so I think it is important to to exercise and do do something that you find enjoyable but then also to perhaps seek advice or develop strategies to deal with you know things like sweating and the irritation it can cause. Julie what kind of day-to-day -day tips are you giving out to people or their families who are struggling to cope with the mental health impacts of eczema? I sometimes say, you know, with a lot of the treatment and the strategies and the education that I do, 
not only on the helpline, but in my own clinical practice. And sometimes I'm trying to get you to a point where you're in control of the eczema rather than the eczema controlling you and your family. And I think that that is quite important because this the eczema taking over the whole of the family, as it can do and, and realistically can do even with people doing the best they can. So um, I think, you know, getting that support and you know, knowing how to manage the flares to reduce um, some of the physical effects will inevitably help some of the, the mental effects. I know it sounds kind of self-evident, but talking about eczema is really important. Um, we have a section on our website called Your Stories where we ask people to share their some of their experiences of living with eczema. And firstly, everyone says when they've been able to talk about how it's made them feel and some of the challenges, they felt less alone. It's, they've kind of almost like uh, uh, lifted a burden. And, and there's something about being able to share genuinely share how it's really affecting you uh, with your nearest uh, family and friends and for young children it's about encouraging them to talk about it so if they're feeling angry about it you can say well actually you've got every right to be angry about it because it's a tough thing uh, and then try and work on ways to, to, to make that more positive so I think there's something about encouraging and uh, keeping that um, uh, opportunity for people to talk about how, how it's making them feel because that's so empowering and it, then it helps other people understand because one of the things we talked about in the first episode was around um, trying to help other people understand because if you don't you know most people don't know just how tough it can be and and I think if you can share that then 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 people are going to be much more uh, empathetic about your situation and more supportive in a positive way which I think is what uh, what people want yeah I just to add to what Andy's just said actually I think one of the key things that people who have eczema report suffering from is isolation and and sometimes they don't know anyone else with eczema who's going through the same thing so I think shared experiences can be really powerful so I think an organization like the National Eczema Society is great because you can connect with people who are having similar or shared experiences to your own and I think shining a light on it so if there's a child with eczema you know normalizing it not making I mean that you know the child may already feel different from their peers when they're at school because they're the child who maybe can't eat certain things because of food allergies associated with eczema or they need emollients applied in the middle of the school day. But I think normalising it, embracing the differences, you know, talking about it and not trying to sort of hide it because the hiding creates more of a stigma, I think. For sure. And Albert. I mentioned uh, a word in the introduction, which a lot of people might not have heard of before, psychodermatology. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so psychodermatology is really interesting. It's a branch of dermatology um, and it can be considered as the interface between psychiatry or psychology and dermatology. And that's actually, um, you know, kind of representative, representing the mind-skin connection, which we know is is so important um but it represents the sort of interaction between the brain and also the skin the skin in terms of you know structurally the 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 nerves in the skin and the immune system of the skin so it's it's this complex area which encompasses many different aspects i suppose psychodermatology can be broken down into two key aspects from my perspective the first one is patients who might have a primary psychiatry sort of a, a psychiatric condition which then manifests in a skin clinic so you know something like delusional infestation is something that we sometimes see in skin clinics it's actually a primary um, psychological condition but we do sometimes see it because it presents to healthcare professionals whereby a person might think that they have an infestation 
say of insects on their skin or in their hair when you know they don't it's a delusion so that's something we sometimes see but the second uh, aspect of psychodermatology which is probably more relevant for us today is the psychological comorbidities associated with having a chronic skin condition so chronic skin conditions like eczema you know and there are many others but the the psychological burden of that so things like as we've said feeling depressed feeling anxious and feeling you know in some cases you know suicidal we know from studies that have been done uh, recently that there is a very strong association between having a chronic skin condition like eczema and feelings of depression anxiety and suicidal thoughts so you know this is not to be underestimated at all the impact it has but psychodermatology has really come to the fore um you know as the mental health side of having a, a skin condition have become increasingly recognized i think it's fair to say and it's recognized that psychodermatology services certainly within the nhs are quite limited uh, resources are limited and therefore you know we often struggle to give appropriate and adequate resources to the patients as they need them however i think it's very important that that is addressed um, and, you know, there are steps in place to, to kind of address that going forwards. Talking about psychological sort of therapies uh, that exist, uh, one we hear about in quite a lot of different contexts these days is cognitive behavioural therapy. Um, how, how does that work for eczema sufferers? Yeah, that's a great question. So CBT, as it's known, um, you know, has been used uh, quite commonly for anxiety and depression up till now. And, and we know there are definitely benefits of it. So, you know, what is it? Essentially, it's a talking therapy, which happens over a series of sessions. So it's a gradual process. But the essence of it is to understand one's thoughts. So the idea is that one's thoughts can often be quite negative, And that can be an ingrained sort of habit that's occurred with time, particularly if one is living with a, a chronic skin condition. And the therapy really encourages one to look at those ingrained thoughts and question them and explore them, perhaps with the view to replacing them with more helpful thoughts. And as we know, uh, thoughts, feelings and behaviours are very closely linked. So when someone has a, a, a thought that can be an emotion associated with it and then a subsequent behaviour, so the behavioural part then thinks about the thoughts and the associated behaviours. And sometimes if the thoughts are negative or unhelpful, they can be linked with behaviours which are not helpful for the person for example avoidance mm. so maybe somebody think feeling so stigmatized about their eczema self-conscious so then they think oh if I go outside everyone will be looking at me laughing so I won't go outside or precisely right. so it might be in that instance the thought of embarrassment may be associated with the avoidance of socializing or, or you know social interaction um, so there is evidence that CBT can help people with eczema uh, in a variety of ways as we said you know avoiding or dealing with the the idea of social embarrassment but also things like dealing with the flares and the unpredictability of flares so you know there is good, good evidence that CBT is helpful for eczema sufferers. Mm. There is another technique which kind of links, but is another behavioural therapy, but more of a perhaps a more practical therapy, um, which I have practised in the past, um, called habit reversal. Mm -hmm. So this is quite useful because this is slightly different to CBT. Um, what it involves is it involves in um, increasing patients' own self-awareness of their habit of scratching. Because what we do know is that quite often 
when you have eczema, even if your eczema is quiet and not flaring, scratching becomes an unconscious response. You know, for instance, you wake up and the first thing you do before you put your clothes on is is have a good scratch, scratch because it's yeah. your, your your skin is always itchy. Um, so what 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 this um, therapy does, and it's 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 very very useful, and lots of people can learn it. And this is what, uh, in terms of healthcare professionals and even patients themselves, is you first of all start by not really changing anything, but getting patients to record. And we use um, a little clicker to record the number of times you you scratch. Yeah. And what you do is you literally raise people's awareness from an, uh, an unconscious um, scratching behaviour to a conscious behaviour. And then you, what you do is you put in habit reversal techniques um, in terms of distraction, or you know, when when you when you when you want to scratch, you know, either use emollient or mm. pinch the skin, and and then you sort of monitor scratching behaviour, and you hope to see a reduction. And in that way, it's called the combined approach because it not only helps the psychological aspect of scratching and itching, which is all bound up together because when you itch, you scratch. It also helps treat the physical symptoms of eczema as well. And we mentioned cognitive behavioural therapy, which is certainly something that people need to learn about, as you said, Alpa, in a a sort of clinical setting with an expert. There are also um, other things out there. There's meditation, mindfulness techniques. Uh, Lots of people have access to this, perhaps via an app on their phone, that sort of thing. How useful can these be? I think we do find that some people do like mindfulness. You have to work at it. And I think it's, as, as we've said, it's about finding something that works for you. Um, and um, But I think having something like CBT is a way of really transforming how you think about things on an ongoing basis, potentially. And things like habit reversal will help you get out of things that have become of autom- automatic for you almost. So sometimes you need something as substantial as that to to actually make that transformative change. Mm. Um, and then other things like mindfulness is quite helpful to, to, to kind of keep you... Um, uh, ticking over as it were uh, in terms of just making sure that you are um, um, managing your emotional well-being um, access to some of these treatments is very patchy it depends on where you live uh, through the NHS and psychodermatology services are very limited and to, to just a few hospitals and they tend to be obviously um, for, for people with more severe skin conditions mm. um, and it's really important that they are there um, and I'll just give you an example I was chatting to some time ago but chatting to a dermatologist who works in one of these clinics where there is psychoderm- psychodermatology services offered and that morning he'd seen a, um, a 14 year old uh, girl who'd had very severe eczema and uh, she had um, suicidal feelings and she'd attempted to take her life so that's a 14 year old girl because of the pressure and, and, and the difficulties of eczema and that's Shocking enough as it is, but uh, that dermatologist had seen two other patients in a similar situation that day in clinic. That same and it's day, just, and it's just yeah, and it's just unbelievable just how tough it can be. So that's not for everybody, but that's why it doesn't affect everyone that badly. But it does affect a lot of people badly, and that's why some of these uh, services like psychodermatology are really important because the the mental health impacts can be really profound and and and, and extremely difficult to deal with on your own. Yeah, and just to add to that, I think it makes me always feel sad 
you know, how many patients I see who've had eczema for a really long time and have suffered profoundly with it, who've never been asked how they feel about it or how it impacts their their general well-being and their life, actually. You know, we quite often just focus on the physical things, you know, have the creams, have the emollients. And of course, that's critical. The, the eczema treatment is critical also, however, the holistic care of the person and how they're feeling, how it's affecting their their well-being is is equally important, I would say. Um, as Andy said, unfortunately, resources in the NHS are certainly scarce. You know, not every hospital has a psychodermatology service or a psychologist that is available. But I think something like CBT that we've talked about, you know, patients can access something like that in a different way. So the GP can potentially refer for CBT, uh, you know, via the NHS. Patients can also self-refer via the NHS Talking Therapies website as well. Um, and also there's always an option of, of finding a, a therapist privately, which obviously depends on the individual and the circumstances. So I think it's important that the individual sort of pushes for what they need, actually, because, you know, resources in the NHS are scarce and sometimes people don't get the help that they need in terms of their mental health. That advocating is really quite important. But if you're feeling low mm. and really down, it's really quite hard to have the energy to push for what you need. It's mm. almost like you need other people to advocate for you. And we find lots of um, people who, um, not rely, but th their families and their friends are very important in helping them, um, you know, uh, advocate for what they really need. And uh, particularly partners, but obviously parents for children and uh, so on. It's, it's uh, you know, there's, uh, you have your own support network if you have experts. It's really important. Yeah, it comes back to what we've been saying in episode one as well about the importance of raising awareness of what mm. this condition is, all the different manifestations and impacts it can have. Yes. Yeah, I think on the helpline, you know, patients sometimes really express very sad feelings, you know, maybe even feelings of anxiety, depression, occasionally suicidal thoughts. And I just say, and again, it goes, again, goes back to you know, they don't want to bother the GP. They, they want to go in, get their treatment. I mm -hmm. say it's really, really important you tell, you know, your GP or your primary healthcare professional how you feel. It's important you tell your dermatologist how you feel. And it's important also that we, we also educate our own healthcare professional colleagues to see S eczema as something where, you know, you have more of a holistic assessment. And I think, you know, often time is an issue. And sometimes people feel when they're when they're seeing patients, they perhaps can't add in that time. In dermatology, we have quite a lot of um, questionnaires, such as the Dermatology Life Quality Index, to actually assess psychosocial effects. But in primary care, perhaps not much time. But you know, it, my tip would be just let your healthcare professional know how you feel. And if any healthcare professionals are listening, I would I I quite like the Bovis score. So simply just say to your the person with eczema sitting in front of you when you sorted out the physical aspects, how much does your eczema really bother you mm. at one to 10? And if they say, you know, a high score, you should actually explore that more. And mm. actually, to be fair, primary healthcare professionals, GPs and nurses are very, very good at detecting and assessing for anxiety and depression. And, you know, they, they would want to know how people feel. So that would be my advice. Tell people how you feel talk about your eczema talk about the wider aspects of just the physical it's just so important and don't feel silly when no. you're talking about it as well that stigma as well that we've we've yeah. mentioned 
Uh, we, uh, NASA Society, contributed to a really interesting consensus exercise. So this is lots of dermatologists and psychologists, psychologists and patient groups uh, to look at uh, how we might um, assess uh, mental health impacts of children with skin disease uh, uh, t- and to come up with some guidance for, for both primary and secondary care professionals to make sure that it is picked up and that, that there are appropriate interventions in place. So that's uh, that's going to come through soon, I think, the out- outputs from that. But those sorts of things are really important because it gives healthcare professionals a structure for that if they're a bit concerned about raising a topic that they might think could be difficult to deal with um, and, and, uh, and an expectation on our part of patients in terms of... Um, you know what uh, you know what resources and support is out there i'm wondering is there a difference as well in how these mental health impacts come out in men and in women um because we do often talk about how men quite often do have trouble talking about their mental health and perhaps for women uh, you know we are more used to being told oh you know you take care of your skin and this is more sort of expected of women as well as well as women expected to talk to each other um, do you see these mental health impacts manifesting differently uh, the helpline is is interesting because it's literally who just phones on the day and, and it can be a variety. But I suppose perhaps, and it, this isn't being um, stereotypical, perhaps women are, are more likely, as you say, to speak to friends, to join a lot of the online probably chat groups, are perhaps a bit more female orientated, but not necessarily so. So perhaps women chat online a bit more, but I don't know. I may be wrong. Um, but I think it's good. It's good that we have a whole variety of people who phone the helpline. Um, and often people do phone. I think we've had some statistics recently. We're gathering data on people who phone particularly for psychological support and needs and we we are doing a little bit of a record and it certainly is is well over 50 percent isn't it Andy I can't remember the exact statistic but you know a lot of people who phone they're not just phoning with simple questions about treatment they're phoning because they're often crying out for someone to talk to someone to support them so more than 50 percent of people who call the helpline are talking about their mental health. Yes, yeah, I can't remember or, the exact Or how, how eczema is bothering them. How eczema is bothering them, them. So they yeah. wouldn't necessarily say mental health, but that's... They might not frame yeah, it that yeah, way. Yeah, no, yeah. no. But it is interesting about who calls, and, and I was chatting to a lady some time ago, but I was chatting to a lady uh, who called up and, and wanted some advice about her son. And it's when you... I didn't... She didn't explain very much at the outset, so I was trying to work out what was happening. But after a few minutes, it transpired that she was 92 oh. and, and her, her son was in his 60s and uh, and uh, she was worried about him because his eczema was flaring and he'd got other things going on in his life and oh. so on. So, so I think, you know, that thing about, you know, just where you get your information from and support and so on, it's, um, uh, it's you know, it's, it varies for everybody. Absolutely. I suppose just a reminder as well for anyone listening, you don't have to be an eczema sufferer, a person with eczema yourself to call the helpline. You can obviously call for other people to get some advice. Yeah. I've definitely got people in my family who are a bit resistant to asking for help. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can imagine I might do that. I think eczema affects the mental health of family and friends around you as well. And you know, I think what I find sad is that eczema can also restrict people's life chances as well. Mm. You know, people get quite low, um, particularly people might want to do a job. You know, they may they may even want to work in healthcare or be a chef or maybe even join the armed forces. And, and some of those professions are just not possible if you have severe eczema, which isn't controlled. Um, but, you know, it should be possible. And we really, we have the hope 
with the new, new treatment in the future that those people will have better life chances as well. Andy, we've spoken quite a lot about the uh, National Eczema Society helpline, but there are other resources available as well, aren't there? Yes, so we've got lots of information on our website. So that's um, uh, for where you might turn for uh, for other advice as well. And um, uh, this, uh, as uh, we've talked about earlier, there's talking therapies available through the NHS, and some of those you need referral, and some you can self refer. So I think um, just just explore the website really for information, just to try and find something that works for you, and and and, and um, it's important that uh, you're able to um, talk to your friends and family about it as well, because they may have some ideas as well. Um, so I think just yeah, just just uh, just do some investigating and just see what's out there. And we've got loads on our website. There's there's other uh, sources as well. And try a few things. I think you know once you've had a condition for a long time, it's very easy to get despondent and feeling like you're stuck and you just get into this place where you're just coping. But it's life isn't often quite challenging for people. So uh, it just it's almost like you need to nudge yourself to try something mm. new something different to try and uh, tr- try and move you on and I think that's where um, some of the, the has been a, um, a development in some of these uh, talking therapies that we know have been successful for some other people so yeah do reach out because most people have not been offered this and most people won't realize that these are available and could help them significantly. And just one thing that's sort of standing out to me from doing this podcast series uh, with you all and with some of the people we've met as well um the advice that sufferers receive from healthcare professionals of all different kinds seems to be quite variable sometimes, as well as the access, as we've been saying, to the different kinds of help. I'm just wondering, why is this? Um, why is it not the case that you can go into a, a GP surgery wherever you are and, and get this sort of comprehensive advice that you three are all giving us? And how would you want eczema to be handled kind of in an ideal scenario? You know, obviously, equality is quite important, and that's a whole different topic in itself. But, you know, particularly with the NHS, equality um, and access are quite important principles. Uh, But unfortunately, you know, there is a resource issue. You know, the NHS is quite resource poor, certainly in areas like psychodermatology. So I think, you know, that's one variable uh, that can vary from region to region. In 2020, I should say, there was a, a report from the All Party Parliamentary Group, which stipulated that you know, every dermatology department should have access to a psychodermatology service within the region. Uh, We're not quite there yet, but that is certainly the aspiration. So in theory, someone who has a skin condition should be able to access psychological help via that. Um, So hopefully things will develop in that direction. But I think also expertise with healthcare professionals can be variable. So one GP might suggest one thing, another GP might suggest something different. So I think there is variability within healthcare professionals uh, in terms of, you know, uh, advice and expertise that they give. And, and Andy, it's not the same across all of the regions of the UK, is it? Yeah, so um, uh, healthcare um, varies depending on where you live. So we have the, our different nations and regions and they're all funded through uh, uh, different uh, hospital trusts or, or other funding uh, commissioning arrangements. So it does vary enormously depending on where you live. But one of the important things is we don't have any national guidelines 
for the management uh, and diagnosis of eczema for adults in, in England and Wales, certainly. And, and they're normally produced by this organisation called the National Institute of Care and Health Excellence, uh, NICE. And um, um, we don't have uh, these guidelines which will help healthcare professionals in both primary care, in GP surgeries and um, in hospitals, make sure that the, they have a sense of what good care, good evidence-based care should be for people with eczema. And, and we desperately need these. And NICE had promised to, to develop them and then they've postponed them again at the start of this year. And we don't know the reasons why uh, or the reasons why aren't particularly um, compelling. So we, that's what we're originally calling for, for to get these back on the table because we do need these national guidelines to help make sure that wh wherever you live, the care will be at, a, at a, a consistent and a good practice level. Well, look, let's just round up with some advice for all of those people that are listening to this podcast, whether you are an eczema sufferer yourself or whether you know somebody who is. I'd like to ask everybody here, can you just give perhaps one piece of advice um, on coping with the mental health aspects of eczema? Yeah, I think um, for me, it's uh, please, if you can, talk about it to people who are close to you and make sure that people understand just how it's making you feel and explore one thing that you might try to try and uh, improve things for you uh, along the lines we've talked about. I think I would say that, you know, if you are hopefully under the care of a GP or a dermatologist just to discuss it with with them because obviously there's resources that could be available to you um you know via via the sort of medical route so I think it's important to raise it with your healthcare professional yeah there could be resources that people aren't necessarily aware of so yeah or able to access off their own accord yeah yeah and on a similar theme I would just say to people please please don't feel alone there is help there is support talk to your healthcare professionals, contact the Eczema Society. Um, you know, our helpline is a fantastic resource and you can phone at any time during working hours in the week. Um, and, and, you know, if you are distressed, there will always be a listening ear. Well, Julie, Alpa, Andy, thank you all so much for being with us. It's clear that there is still a long way to go and a lot to learn about eczema, but there's plenty of help and support available from health professionals and, of course, the National Eczema Society. There are resources available on the Society's website to help people with eczema manage stress and a whole section called It's Good to Talk on Opening Up to Others. And there's a whole library of material on the mind and body connection and CBT. Now, if you haven't heard or watched all four episodes of this series, they are well worth it. They're available to you now via the National Eczema Society website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd love for you to follow and subscribe to the series and to rate and review if you have time. We hope we'll be returning with a regular podcast too in the not too distant future. For lots more information, visit the National Eczema Society website at eczema.org. That's E-C-Z-E-M-A.org. If you have any questions, you can contact info at eczema.org. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and X, formerly known as Twitter, or follow our campaign on hashtag more than just an itch. I'm Catherine Nicholson and for now, goodbye. <laughs>